2 Timothy 3, 1 says, In the last days, perilous times will come. Not maybe, not unless you do this or that. Perilous times have come. So this must be the last days. Now, um, well, I want to tell you a story first because you'll see why a little later. Several weeks ago, prior to Corona 19 and all of this stuff going on now, uh, I was walking by a window at my house looking out to the back, and it was pouring rain, and there was these two young men out there, young fellas, and I knew by their uniform who they were. <laughs> so I went out the back door, and they were about to go away, and I said, hey, you fellas, what you need? Or what do you? Well, they were Mormons, and... Uh, Long story short, we had a discussion. I don't usually entertain that, but it was pouring rain. And I felt bad. I felt bad for him, and I said, "Fellas, I, you know, I just got to tell you, I, I will pray for you. I feel badly for you. You're young. You've been deceived." And so we had some discussion, and the way it ended, well, they wanted to say that, um, you know, I told them that the book is the book, and so forth. And well, we have the King James Version in, in our repertoire of the Mormon and all of that. I said, yes, but, and here's the way it ended. I said, yes, but the one who wrote the book will be the judge and will judge you and me and all of us. And they said, well, thank you for your time <laughs> and left. But anyhow, Zechariah chapter 2. Now, last time I spoke, I spoke about, uh, I spoke on chapter one, and a little introduction again is that uh, Zechariah and a relatively small group of Jews came, went, left Babylon. They were allowed to leave and go back in order to build the temple. Zechariah and uh, 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 Haggai were contemporaries. Haggai emphasized. Uh, the uh, some of the rules and regs, to, so to speak, whereas Zechariah emphasized building the temple and what and and great deal of encouragement that that would be to uh, Israel. And um, this was around five. Well, he went back around five thirty six B.C. and they began building the temple in five twenty, and it eventually was finished. But much time had passed and um, so um, and later then much later about 80 years in fact the um, wall was built when Nehemiah and Ezra came across from Babylon <clears throat> so in chapter 1 of Zechariah again there um, there began a series of eight visions that Zechariah saw in one night. And in the first vision, God promised uh, comfort to Israel. And in the second vision, he, ex he explained that he would bring this comfort by punishing the nations that had captured and enslaved uh, Israel. So in this third vision we're going to look at today, he guaranteed the future prosperity and, and expansion of Israel and, um, and Jerusalem. And um, 
they would always have a divine protector. Jerusalem will always have, has, does, and will have a divine protector. And um, in verse 1, he says, I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. He had a big tape measure. Then said I, Whither goest thou? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and the length thereof. Now, this man, this, uh, the man seeing the vision, of course, is Zechariah. And a man, as we saw in chapter 1, I believe all the indications are that it's the Lord Jesus himself coming to minister to and speak with Zechariah. And he said, I'm going to measure Jerusalem. Why do you need to measure Jerusalem? God knows, as Ken said a while ago, he knows all of that sort of thing. But all of this, you, we must keep in mind, is for the benefit of us, of Zechariah. And, and he said, I'm going to measure Jerusalem because one of these days it's going to be big and it's going to have a lot of people from all over the world in it and so forth. So anyhow, um, and uh, in verse 3, he says, And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth and another angel went out to meet him. Now, here again, this is the, uh, the Lord Jesus, and I guess the other angel is going to hold the other end of the tape. I don't know exactly. But, um, and now in verse 4, he says, And he saith unto me, or unto him, Run, speak to this young man, saying. Now, I just want to stop right there. This young man is, as indicated in other places, is Zechariah. Now, I told you that little story about those two young men. Now, I want to uh, point out here something I discovered. I didn't know this. That this, and this is how people can get really off track. But the Mormons believe that this young man in this verse was Joseph Smith. And that the angel was Moroni who revealed to him the golden plates of the Book of Mormon. Uh, now, I want to read this to you. According to Latter-day Saint belief, the golden plates, also called the gold plates, are in some 19th century literature, the gold Bible, are the source from which Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon, a sacred, in quotes, text, of the faith, uh, sacred text of the faith. Some witnesses described the plates as weighing from 30 to 60 pounds, a gold, uh, golden in color, and composed of thin metallic plates engraved with hieroglyphics on both sides and, and had, were bound by three rings. Smith said that he found the plates on September 22, 1823, on a hill near his home in Manchester. New York. And after the, after the angel Moroni directed him to a buried stone box, he said that the angel prevented him from taking the plates, but instructed him to return to the same location in a year. So he returned to that site every year, but it was not until September 1827, about four years later, that he recovered the plates on his fourth annual attempt to retrieve them. He returned 
home with a heavy object wrapped in a frock, which he then put in a box. He allowed others to heft the box, but said that the angel had forbidden him to show the plates to anyone until they had been translated from their original Reformed Egyptian Egyptian language. Now Smith uh, it, uh, dictated Smith dictated the text out of the Book of Mormon, stating that it was a translation of the plates. Eyewitnesses to the process, not to the plates, but to the process, said Smith translated the plates not by looking at directly at them, not by looking at them directly but by looking through a transparent seer stone in the bottom of his hat. Similar to modern-day glasses, Smith published the first edition of Translation March 1830 as the Book of Mormon with a print run of 5,000 copies over Sprint. Uh, Smith eventually obtained testimonies from 11 men who said they had seen the plates. But you remember, he didn't show anybody the plates. But later, I guess he got some flack. I don't know. Said 11 men said they'd seen the plates, known as the Book of Mormon Witnesses. After the translation was complete, Smith said that he returned the plates uh, to he returned the plates to the angel Morona, so they could never be examined. Later, uh, Latter-day Saints. Critics often assert that either Smith manufactured them himself or that the Book of Mormon witnesses based their testimony on visions rather than physical evidence. Well, you know, uh, it's easy to be deceived sometimes. And uh, I had never understood or read about the origin of the Mormon religion. Well, um, now I'm going to refer to several scriptures and and um, and uh, see how we go here. In, in Jer- uh, Jeremiah 32:15, it says, getting back on subject here, that the Lord of Hosts. Now that's who appears in these scriptures in Zechariah and uh, uh, Mark was talking about this morning in Revelation 11:4. That is a direct. Uh, link to Zechariah 4, we're not going to get to 4, but 4.14, talking about the, the um, uh, two, um, the, well, the candlesticks and the two olive trees. But uh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses, uh, the God of Israel will rebuild houses, fields, and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now that's going to happen as we've talked about before. but And in Ezekiel 40, just as a reference, is a detailed description of the future Jerusalem. And also in Revelation 11. Now, in, in verse 5 here in, in Zechariah, he says, uh, for, I saith, uh, for I, saith the Lord, will be unto the, her a wall of fire, fire round about, and will be the glory in the midst of her. Now we know that God has used the fire in times past. There's, you know, an Exodus, the the uh, uh, pillar of cloud by day and the the uh, the pillar of fire by night. And um, he says that 
in a day. Now here again, you know, Mark was talking about, about the way God, uh, the, the way he communicated in, in these, these um, dramatic ways to people, but they understood that. They, had, they knew the history of the fire in Exodus the pillar of fire, and these kind of things. So he said, one day I will uh, surround Israel with a wall of fire. Now we could look at that in a lot, a lot of ways, but and it would be the glory of her in contrast to human glory. You know, there'd be no mistake about if there were a wall of fire, that man would have nothing to have done with that. Remember the pillars of cloud and the fire in Exodus. So the physical wall then as I said before, came much later, like about 80 years later with, with, uh, in Nehemiah's time and uh, about 440 B.C. And, and in, in Zechariah's time, there was a fall, uh, wall of fire described for now and in the future. Here again, the present and future aspect of prophecy. So in Isaiah 4, 5, Isaiah 4, 5, and the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and a smoke and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night for upon all the glory shall be a defense for upon all the glory shall be a defense so representing the glory of God he will surround uh, Israel Jerusalem in Isaiah 4 5 with this uh, fire so um then this third vision that we're looking at that he's he's seeing the the measuring line and the wall of fire and so forth third vision uh like the second vision predicts the protection uh of israel ultimate fulfillment to be in the coming kingdom now in verses six and seven um he says Ho, ho, or low, or look, or pay attention. Uh, he says, come forth and flee from the land of the north. What's the land of the north? Where they came from, Babylon. And um, he saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, saith the Lord. Now Babylon always represents here and in other prophecy and Revelation, um, the world system and the evil. And um, he says, for instance, in Revelation 18, 4 and 5, he says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, this is Babylon, come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And we know there's much to do in Revelation about the fall of Babylon and Babylon representing this, the evils of the world system. And um, uh, God is going to deal with it. And he's telling these people here now in Zechariah's day, remember where you came from and stay away, basically. Not just physically, but in your thinking, in your way of life, and 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 uh, false gods and so forth. But but give me your attention, and I'll guide you and direct you. Now, in verse eight, uh, he says, 
For thus saith the Lord of hosts, here again, the Lord of hosts. Um, and, you know, there are other hosts in the heavenly and spiritual realm, but there is only one Lord of all the hosts, the Lord Jesus and, and God the Father. And he says, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations, which spoil you, for he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. I'm going to talk about apple of his eye a little bit, but after the glory probably represents the New Testament Christ. The, uh, uh, when, when Jesus was here in John 17, 4, in fact, Jesus says, I have glorified thee on earth, speaking of the Father. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. So after the glory probably refers more so than any other thing to the glory of Jesus on this earth. Now, I'm going to look at about seven verses here and um, talking about the apple of God's eye. I, I saw this some years ago and looked that up and and I just thought it really interesting. It's kind of like the finger. Have you ever looked at in the Scripture at finger? The finger of God. And it's really interesting to see those kind of things. And this one is talking about the apple of God's eye. Deuteronomy 32.8. You might want to turn to some of these and we'll skip on through here. But Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance. And there was a point in time, that was the Bible, that was the Tower of Babel era and so forth when the uh, Scripture talks about dividing to the nations their inheritance. Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, leading up to the building of Babel when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, here again, Deuteronomy 32, 8, now verse 9, For the Lord's portion is His people. The Lord's portion of the inheritance. Jacob, the lot of His inheritance. Now verse 10 in Deuteronomy 32, He found them in a desert, in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple or the pupil of his eye. He kept them as the pupil of his eye. Psalms 17, 8. Psalms 17, 8. David, or the psalmist, whoever this would be, Psalm 17, 8 says, Keep me as the apple or the pupil of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 17 verse 9 says, For uh, from the wicked that oppress me, or hide me, he says, from the wicked that oppress me, my deadly enemies compass me about. Proverbs 7, 1. Proverbs 7, 1. says, Proverbs 7, 1, My son, keep my words, 
and lay up my commandments with thee. In verse 2 he says, Keep my commandments and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Now, so looking up that word uh, apple of the eye is uh, indicates the pupil. Now, how do we get, how do we see? Well, the brain actually sees and hears, but how does the brain receive the message of sight, the light? It's through that little opening, through the pupil. That's how light enters. Now, um, and so as far as I'm concerned, Israel is the pupil, well, he says they are, of his eye. And through them, we got the light. Through Israel, we get the light. Well, so Israel's important. Extremely important. Well, where does that leave us? Who are we? Well, um, let me... Uh, well, some, some back in one of the first, first years of the uh, Bible conferences here, uh, I had the opening one morning, and my subject or my question was, does God have a plan B? Does God have a plan B? Now, um, in Matthew 4, I think, yeah, Matthew 4, when Jesus went to be tempted... And then he finally uh, finished with that. And where did he go? It says in Matthew 4, 15, he went to the land of Zebulun and the land of uh, Nephthalim, or Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So when Jesus had opportunity at that point to begin his ministry, where did he go? He could have, did he go to Jerusalem? Where did he go? He went to Galilee of the Gentiles. Now there's some history there, of course, where they had, um, well, there was a large gathering of Gentiles in that area uh, due to various sieges and so forth. And so in Isaiah 9, he says that nevertheless, the dimness uh, shall not uh, be such as in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did much more grievously affect her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan than the Gal in Galilee of the nations, of the Gentiles. In verse 2 of Isaiah 9, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. God had the Gentiles in plan A from the beginning. And he's used Israel to be the source of that light. And he says in Isaiah 42, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles. And there's much more, but uh, God uh, 
you know, as, as important as Israel is, we are too. And it's a, it's a joint effort, in my opinion. In Acts 13.47, he, he says, for, it says, For so hath the Lord commanded us, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So God doesn't have a plan B. He only has plan A, and we're in plan A. Along with, the, along with Israel, uh, you know, the Bible says that he is a, uh, a Jew that is not a Jew outwardly, but is a Jew inwardly. God looks on the heart, not on anything else in our lives. And, uh, well, later on in Zechariah, we, we'll see something about the little things. And I remember Royce Powell one day said, said uh, no, it was John White said this. I'll tell you what Royce said in a minute. But John White said where the Scripture says that we are just to be faithful in a few things. Thank goodness. Maybe I can be faithful in a few things. And that's all it takes. Now, um, let's finish up here with uh, Zechariah. And in verse 9, the Lord of hosts... He hath, um, uh, for behold, I will shake mine hand. I talked about the finger a while ago. Now, but, but God's talking about shaking his hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me. Oh, there I went to water. That you shall know the Lord. Now, he's talking about dealing with the nations again. Now, we look at the things in the Scriptures that God has done with His finger. Well, I would hate to be having Him to shake His hand at me. <laughs> All five fingers at once. But that's how He's going to deal with the nations. And in um, verse 10, He says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and I will Dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Israel will always have the protector. And, um, well, some examples of that are another place that speaks of that is in Isaiah 2, 11 and 12. The lofty looks of a man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and shall be brought low. God is pretty clear about how He deals with haughtiness and, and pride and those kind of things. And I've told the story of I was we, uh, Janie and I went to see Alan and Janet not long before he died and uh, he had preached a message Sunday or two before that, and and I, I had forgotten what he said, so I asked him. But I said, "Now, Alan, you you said now, um, what what? Why is it that we get offended? Why is it I get offended over little things or things?" And he looked he looked straight at me and he said, "It's pride." <laughs> he didn't go look up anything. I thought, well, he's going to give me some stuff to study. You know, he says pride. So God deals with that and He's going to deal with the pride of the nations that have afflicted Israel in that day. And um, now in verse um, 
um, verse 11, he says, And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. Now there's much in, later on in Zechariah about, about uh, Egypt and, and other places and how they will come uh, to worship with Israel. And he says, And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto thee. Um, and in verse 12, And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion, the apple of his eye, in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Boy, you know, the, the, we know the history of Israel, and they're up and down, in and out, off, on and off, but God stays the same. And He is going to rejoin them in the midst of them. And it says in verse 13, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. And, and over in chapter 8 of Zechariah, verse 3, says just uh, uh, to show where this is headed, Thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Um, now, I want to read to you, or you can look up, Romans eleven twenty five to wrap this up. Romans eleven twenty five because I was talking about where this leaves the Gentiles, and um, God has a plan for us. And in Revelation eleven twenty five, he says, "For I would not, brethren, that you be ignorant of this mystery." lest you should be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And in Luke 18, this message is for everyone, but is directed at certain ones, I should say. Luke 8, verse 10, when... Um, explain Jesus uh, answering the disciples' question about the parables. He says in Luke 8.10, and he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that, they, that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. That's a difficult thing to, to grasp sometimes, but all of these prophecies, everything from Genesis to Revelation is about that coming day and about how God is dealing with humanity and is going to deal with all of His creation in a way to bring it all about, to restore Israel, to restore Jerusalem, and to place those of the nations who are faithful Believing and faithful now in His coming kingdom. So it is incumbent upon us to be faithful over a few things. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for this time and place to come together. And for those on the internet from
Wisconsin to Illinois to Colorado to Florida to Texas. And those that uh, nearby here that normally would be here in, in, in our presence. We thank you for the means to study together. Father, we pray now as uh, we uh, uh, leave here and as we continue in the days ahead that we would be faithful, that we would be safe, that we would uh, understand that in the days of trouble and trial and chaos that you are still on the throne, you are still our God, you are still the one to whom we look for our very existence. In Jesus' name, amen.